Dayton Women in the Words 2020 Summer Study on the Dayton Women in the Word podcast. Today we'll hear from Daisy Dronin as she shares with us from 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 through chapter 2 verse 13. What a rich time we've had already, haven't we? My name is Daisy Dronin, and I have the, the huge privilege to open up the Word of God with you today. Make sure to have your Bibles close by in your printed out um, guide as well, because we're going to be using both of those throughout the course of our time together. We've studied it on our own, we've prayed about it, we've immersed our minds in it, we've read it repeatedly and discussed it with our study groups, but today we get to put some of the dots together while we seek to encounter the power of God as his word washes over, our, over us. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are good and kind to reveal your word to us. You are a God that gives good gifts. You are a God who loves to be known and desires to know us as well. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to study 2 Timothy. In it, we see that your character stands the same for generations. Lord, we pray that you continue to give us wisdom as we study together. I pray as Paul prayed over the Philippians And this is my prayer, that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that they may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. The table is set. Let's delight in God's word today. Jillian did a great job of setting the table for us with context. Laura gave us a few more pieces of the play settings with overarching themes. But last week, Megan opened up the choice portions and began to open the Word of God with us. She encouraged us that to remember our call and to guard our deposit is not something that we have to make do or conjure or um, make up The Holy Spirit in us gives us the ability to do that. Now, as we continue to study 2 Timothy, that truth of the power of God in you, enabling you to do his work, will become more and more evident. We're going to read the passage together today that we're going to be studying. So I'm going to invite you to open, make sure your Bibles are open to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, and then we're going to end in um, chapter 2, verse 13. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you will know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering of Christ as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I'm sorry. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. 
Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as, a, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Amen. This is God's word. We will explore in this passage a micro picture of life, complete with abandonment, encouragement, the gospel, and even poetry. First, we will delve into the Paul's experience with some collaborators and the importance of being loyal to the gospel in chapter 1, 15, verse 15 through 18, and then in chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. Then we will spend time examining four patterns of endurance and perseverance in chapter 2, verse 3 to 8. Lastly, we will see in chapter 2, verse 8 through 13, how the word of God and his faithfulness are not bound and that is good news. A few, of the te- a few of the themes that can be found in this section are don't be ashamed of the gospel, generous Christ-like love, reward from God, endurance, perseverance, Jesus Christ is the gospel, and remember the gospel for you. And lastly, but not least, God's faithfulness, and many more, but I had to find a way to stop. As we move into um, a bit of history, I encourage you to have your guide close. We're going to see. So, we're going to talk about some some places that Paul visited, and they can be seen in your map. During his first missionary journey, Paul visited Lystra, and it could have been then that Timothy's family converted, but to continue preaching the gospel in Asia was forbidden to Paul at that time. So. He ended up going to Macedonia instead. It is at the beginning of, this, of, this, of his second journey that Paul wants to bring Timothy along with him. So he has him circumcised. After they begin the missionary journey together, there comes a time when Paul must leave Timothy in Corinth and take Priscilla and Aquila with him to Ephesus. And this is to continue the spreading of the gospel. Paul will not spend a long time in Ephesus at first, but when Paul returns on his third missionary journey, he will then invest a large part of his life to the believers in Asia and especially the ones in Ephesus, where Timothy will later join Paul and become a leader in the church of Ephesus. Now, we spend a bit of time in this history because we want to see that the Apostle Paul and Timothy are real people with real experiences that shape their lives. We see in verse 15 that Paul is saddened by the way some have abandoned their faith in, this, in the continent of Asia. He is coming to terms with the legacy that he is leaving behind. Will the weight of the gospel inspire loyalty to it or cause the believers to turn to their own comfort? We know that the believers in Asia did not all Uh, turn away from the Lord, because even in Revelation, we find the church of Ephesus mentioned again. But it could have been that they may not have stood by him when he was arrested or accused, and maybe they, they didn't even come to his aid after he was imprisoned. He mentions in particular Phygelus and Hermogenes, There's no certainty of when or why exactly they turned away, but it seems like they were ashamed of Paul's chains for the gospel. They didn't just turn away from Paul, but also from the truth of the gospel, turning to myths and other secular theories that serve their own self-serving nature. Does this sound familiar to you? We are deep into the information age with so much information at our fingertips every day. Most of the information available is a form of myth and secular theory that at times derails even our hearts as we seek out the truth of God. 
So Timothy was at a fork in the road. And I think we find ourselves confronting one today as well. Will we continue to allow the things of this world to distract us and derail us? Or will we choose the simplicity of the gospel to transform us? Will we give our loyalty to the gospel even when the draw of the world seems overwhelming? As we look at verses 16 through 18, we see Paul contrast them with Onesiphorus, the one who often refreshed him and was not ashamed of his chains. This example encourages me because these followers of Christ, Timothy, Paul, Onesiphorus, they conquered their flesh and the distractions of their times through the grace of Christ in them. There is yet hope for us. During the Greco-Roman era, the culture operated as a shame-based culture, really much like our culture today. To them, it, it was seen as a weak and shameful thing to be imprisoned. You can recall that Jesus also suffered in this way. In his time, the cross bore a stigma of being the most shameful way to die. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, states Paul in the letter to the Galatians. In Paul's day, being in prison was not the same as today. It was the responsibility of the family and friends of the prisoner to provide for them. And in this letter, we see that Paul is struggling with loneliness. Paul was enduring as a prisoner of Christ, loneliness and lacking contact with his friends. Onesiphorus, though, was determined not only to provide for Paul physically, but to offer his presence and company. In verse 16, we see that Paul uses the word refreshed to represent that his friend's presence was, even more, uh, was an even more valuable gift to him. Onesiphorus' search for Paul took much effort, and it spoke volumes to the apostle in his current state. Onesiphorus' example transcends a friendship that seeks only to be valued and known as an individual, but instead reaches further to put the needs of his friends first above his own. Does this remind you of how you view friendship? Are you able to see in Onesiphorus' example Jesus? our truest friend who does not rest until he finds us? When we turn to verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2, Paul asked Timothy to strengthen himself in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This encouragement is reinforced by Onesiphorus' example. It's an example that requires him to look past the culture of his day and, and calls on him to fix his eyes on Jesus the giver and perfecter of his faith. Let's read it together again. You and We're going to read verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. I love how Paul doesn't ask Timothy to find it within himself, to pull himself up by his bootstraps, or to find um, himself or muster up the confidence, but instead to rest, to rest in the grace and unmerited favor of Christ. That includes divine enabling for us to do the task at hand. In these verses, what is the task at hand? I believe we find it given to us by Jesus in Acts 1 through 8. In Acts 1 through 8, you, you see Jesus leaving a command. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Paul is reminding Timothy 
that the most practical discipleship tool to accomplish the Great Commission is that we preach the gospel to other faithful disciples so that they can also pass it on to others. The gospel that Timothy has heard from Paul is alive and active and not meant to be kept to himself. The time has come in which Paul is wanting to ensure that Timothy understands the role he is to play in the genealogy of faith. He begins to, by reminding him that the, of the cloud of witnesses that surround him and have been a part of the growth of his faith. Included in his cloud are his mom and grandmother who poured into him the word and helped his heart be ready to receive the calling of God in his life. This gospel was so gracefully summarized by Megan in last week's talk. What good news indeed. He, it is because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice that you have been made new in the righteousness of Christ and now are co-heirs with Christ in his kingdom. But this gospel requires complete surrender, calling us to become good stewards of the word of God and loyal to its preaching so that we can also and trust others to teach it to others, thus making disciples who make disciples. As we devote our lives to the gospel of the Lord, we will use his word to transform us into trustworthy vessels that through authentic community will gain disciples to which we can entrust it to. As we see in the examples above, the disciple is not just a disciple when things are going well. Rather, the disciple must also outwardly display the fruit of the Spirit in their service, like Onesiphorus did, during unprofitable and even dangerous times. This takes us to our first main truth. Loyalty to the gospel will not always lead to prosperity, but it will faithfully produce the fruit of the Spirit in us. Examine your calling especially examine your primary calling from Jesus himself. Go to the world and make disciples of all nations. How have you trusted in your own power instead of total reliance in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in you? Is there a person that keeps coming to your mind to ask to mentor you or someone that you would like to be in a discipleship relationship with? Write their name down and pray. Ask the Lord about how to approach them or when to approach them to begin living in community together. Some of us don't have to look far for this community. Motherhood for me has been a crucible or a very trying time at times, one in which I have been tested many times in the fire of daily life. And many more times than not, I have been found wanting. There's a metaphorical definition for crucible, like the one I'm talking about right now. There's also a definition that's literal, meaning a heat-resistant container used to melt metallics, metals, you put metals in, they melt into whatever shape you want them to be. This is the technique or science of working or heating metals and they, they obtain a certain shape. Thankfully, the true test for me is not that I come out alive <laughs> through my own strength, but that parts of me burn away and that I am molded and shaped until I look more like Christ. You see, there was a time in early motherhood when I realized that I believed the lie that I was the one who was in control. I, it was up to me to make my kids good. It was up to me to make them obey. I had created an idol out of my success as a mother, and it put undue pressure on my children and on myself. He called me to make disciples of my children, and instead I was trying to make them little robots. I had become a distorted shape of who the Lord had called me to be. This is one of the times when I trusted in my own power instead of a total reliance in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in me. It was at this point that I surrendered to the Holy Spirit's tender rebuke that I was relying on myself instead of trusting him. 
I was reliant on using my own truth or what I thought I was supposed to be doing instead of the truth of the gospel to guide me as I disciplined my children. I'm not perfect at it. I don't think I will be. But I do remind myself now, before, as I come before the Lord with my desires for my children, that it is up to the Lord to mold and shape my children. It is the greatest times of healing and molding have come from the times when I've apologized to my children. And it seems like in those times they have felt truly what the gospel meant to them. And I, in turn, have felt the slight tug as a part of my heart falling into place and the tender hand of the Savior holding me fast. It is as if through my stretching and surrender, their hearts become more tender to the word of God. You may not be parenting children right now, but you are in relationships with others. In those relationships, pay attention to what the Lord does when your desires are not upheld. What happens in your heart when others abandon you, betray you, or just don't want to do things the way you want? Keep those in mind, jot them down, and take time to examine yourself and invite the Holy Spirit into that time too. Now, as we move into an analysis of four patterns that can help us understand how our loyalty to the gospel shapes and molds us to be more like Christ, I pray that you just open the eyes of your heart as you Pay attention to these. We're going to see three patterns in daily life, and then the fourth one will be a reminder of our resurrected Lord, of how he first had to suffer in our place for our, our salvation. Paul, like Jesus, was a great teacher. They did a great job using pictures of their own day to help bring to life the word of God to their hearers. And I think we can apply some of those to today. These patterns can, can be really helpful in us understanding his word, too. The first pattern we see is one of a soldier. They were everywhere in the time of Paul, since most of his ministry took place around the Roman Empire. It also seems to be a favorite picture of Paul to draw from, as it, add detail, as it adds detail and life in the kingdom of God, and it's closely related to perseverance and endurance. No room for civilian pursuits in the service of a king. To Paul, a soldier was also an example of honor and devotion. A soldier must live a life of discipline and obedience to his king. Like the Roman soldiers, we as soldiers of King Jesus must be ready to obey at once without avoidance strategies, but instead on the ready to share the gospel in the face of persecution, social stigma, and danger. Paul had multiple interactions with the Roman soldiers. He suffered at their hands. They imprisoned him. He was also protected by them as they transferred custody from one official to the other. He was escorted by a soldier on his trip to Rome, and even in house arrest, he was guarded by them. Not only did he respect them, but they also respected him. He did not treat them with disdain, but instead spoke to them about his Savior. So he was in close proximity to them a lot. So he knew what they were and what it was designed to protect. Paul wants us to examine ourselves and see that do we realize that as soldiers of the King of Kings, we are also to take our role seriously? Do we take it seriously? Paul's knowledge of what the soldiers were was extensive, and he portrays this in Ephesians 6 that he, he uses to illustrate the armor of Christ, the armor that Christ has given us as believers. We're going to do a brief summary of the armor of God. Look in your, make sure to have your um, folders ready. There is a picture of the armor of God in there that we're going to refer to. 
As we read earlier, in 2 Timothy 2.1, Paul calls Timothy to strengthen himself in the grace of Christ Jesus. When you read Ephesians 6, we find that same charge in verse 8. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the evil, the devil's schemes. Paul recognized well that we are not in a that we are in a battle for our souls. He did not want the believers to be in the dark about this. He wants us to really understand the importance of each armor piece. He wrote to the Ephesians in verse 12 of chapter 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And this battle has not ended. We must take up the armor of God to stand firm today. As part of your study leading up to our time today, you compare translations. And one of the translations I mentioned to you that I like in the teacher talk was the Amplified Version. I encourage you to read this passage in the Amplified Version on your own time to help deepen your understanding of the importance of each piece and what they're protecting. We're going to do a quick summary of the armor of God. First, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth holds your armor together. And then even used to have a place in the Roman's um, belt to hold the sword. The breastplate of righteousness, protecting all of your vital, vital organs. And then we strap our feet with the gospel of peace. We must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We lift up the protective shield of faith to extinguish the flaming arrows. And we do this by remembering God's promises. We take on the helmet of salvation, always taking our thoughts captive and thinking about things above. And we wield the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. The time that you have invested in this study will continue to help you stand firm. You take the word of God in, you study it, you allow it to transform your life like a soldier patiently spending time with the words of your king, quickly obeying and telling others of his goodness. The second example that we see is that of an athlete. Another familiar picture for Paul and for the people he ministered to. The Olympic Games of Greece and the Roman Games each were popular and normally held in conjunction to religious or imperial festivals. The rules and regulations for participating in them were particularly stringent. In fact, Paul uses this illustration in a letter to the Corinthians as well. It Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 through 27. In this passage, he's exhorting them not to run aimlessly, but to remember that they are to run with an eternal purpose in mind. Let's read it together. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone competes in the games. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached, to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Although we may not be as familiar with the rhetoric of soldiers, we are familiar with sports in the Olympic Games. This year, we were supposed to celebrate the Summer Olympic Games, but they've been postponed due to the COVID-19 worldwide pandemic. I imagine the disappointment due to 
the frustration of all the investment, time, and training of the athletes. They will now have to carry it over into another year. Will they be able to maintain their strength? Will they be able to compete and win? But Paul reminds us here, we are not competing for a crown that will tarnish, but we run to get the crown that lasts forever. So let us not grow weary, and let us run the heavenly race set before us with confidence. I ran a half marathon once, and the training part of the actual experience is more memorable to me. It required devotion, planning, and execution. It was laying aside of my desires to rest whenever I wanted, to eat whatever I wanted, and I had to lay my time down so that I could train. The race itself took only a few hours, and then it was over. The medal that they placed around my neck is a token reminding me that if for a human race I am able to be disciplined, then the Holy Spirit in me will give me the, the strength to persevere as I run the heavenly race. This life threatens to weigh us down with all of its shiny distractions, the sin that we so easily pick up and the lack of focus that takes our eyes off of Jesus and wants us to fix it instead on those running with us or those not running at all. But in Hebrews 12, verse 2 to 3, we find encouragement that because Jesus endured the cross, we are called to endure and not grow faint-hearted. He is the power we need to set aside our sin and find strength to persevere through the completed work of the cross. As we move into the third illustration, that is one of a farmer. In verse 6 of 2 Timothy 2, he says, It is the hardworking farmer that should receive the first share of his crops. A farmer doesn't just sit back and wait for the crop to show up. There are long, long hours of work that begin way before we even see any of the fruit of his labor. Yet the hard work, coupled with the unmerited favor of God that reigns on the land and allows the sun to rise every morning, produces a crop. This pattern may be a little bit harder for some of us to grasp since we are not used to working on a farm to get our food. But for some of you, I know it's a joy to see your gardens bloom and produce fruit and vegetables that add flavor and richness to your food. This one truly exemplifies perseverance. No matter how hard the farmer works, there is a process to his work. He can't begin in the harvest. He must begin with planting the seed and tending to it, watering it, and waiting for it to take and grow until it can produce fruit. James echoes the Apostle Paul when he says, in James 5, 7 through 8, So wait patiently, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits expectantly for the precious harvest from the land, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, because the coming of the Lord is near. There is nothing that the farmer can do to make this process start and finish in a matter of days. It takes weeks and months to get the fruit that he wants. I get to participate in the blessing of the harvest every time I go into my kitchen to cook. If it were not for the farmer, my choice of produce would be non-existent. The bounty and the beauty of the produce and the fruit, which is always breathtaking to me right before I cook it, I experience this waiting also as I cook. I have to allow the heat to cook the food, and I can't rush, rush the process or prolong the process, or the food will burn and the meat will be tough. The farmer must work together with the natural processes of creation. Each one of the seasons has a lot to teach us about the circle of life. But one of my favorite seasons is definitely spring. I moved to Ohio in the middle of winter. 
and the heaviest snowfall in probably a hundred years. I joke, but it felt like that to many that year. Spring captivated me that year. I could not believe the amazing demonstration of life and resurrection that was happening before my eyes. This year, 2020, feels the same way. It is as if winter got a second wind and reappeared just right before spring took over. Maybe it's because of the cavernous uncertainty that comes with a pandemic. Maybe it's because the darkness of grief and death and tragedy is so overwhelming as we see the immense suffering of our African-American sisters and brothers that yet prevails in our country. Yet the Lord's grace will not delay. He will bring justice and he calls on spring to remind us. There is life where there was at once death. I notice each new shoot with admiration, craving the promise of newness and regeneration to take root in my soul. I am officially on PE Watch, and I have two plants that I talk to until the first bloom arrives. These flowers are sweet gifts to me each, each spring. Last year, I wrote one line that continues to reverberate in my spirit. The promise of the bloom was born in the death and waiting of winter. And so it is for us. We must die to ourselves to obtain eternal life with Christ. We are being transformed into his likeness as we allow the darkness of winter to do the work of death and resurrection in our hearts. Then the indwelling Holy Spirit brings the rains and produces in us the fruit of righteousness. If this is a struggle for you to understand, remember in verse 7 of 2 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul reminds us to ask the Lord for understanding, and he will reveal it to us. Let's stop right now and do just that. You can stand or sit, but as you do, Sit up straight, plant your feet on the ground, close your eyes. As you take a big deep breath in, thank God for his wisdom. And as you exhale, exhale your doubt and questions and let him take them. Remember that God placed his wisdom in you. We can take these deep breaths as prayer with confidence because he always hears us. Because our main desire is to be made more like Christ, we are going to examine the last pattern, which is the perfect one, Jesus Christ. In verse 8, Paul asked Timothy to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. It is because of the perseverance of Christ and faithfulness of Jesus that we have the power to endure, the patience to be transformed, and the strength to persevere. The human memory is fickle, isn't it? It forgets very quickly that we are sustained by the mercy and goodness of God, and we turn our gifts from God into our own gods. The Apostle Paul grew up on the Holy Scriptures, just as Timothy did. These, we know, are the law and the prophets. He is a genius at interweaving his knowledge of them into the epistles. In these letters, he strives to connect the prophecies of the promised Messiah to Jesus, the one who fulfills them all. Jesus is the offspring of David who came to establish the kingdom of God on this earth. Yet in Isaiah 53, we see a picture not of a reigning king, but of a suffering servant. Let's look specifically at verse 3 and 10 in Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Jesus put aside his divinity and put on flesh, became like us so that he could more intimately know us. In his mercy, he offers his life up as a sacrifice so that we could have a way to the Father. As he took on flesh, I want you to listen to these verses in Hebrews that exemplifies why he needed to take on flesh and what he did with that and what he's doing with that now. Hebrews 2, 17 through 18 say, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become merciful, a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." He became like us so that we could be known by him. But he also became a sacrifice, which is what that word propitiation means. He needed to be the sacrifice so that we would be able to come to the Father. And right now, he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. So this leads us to our, main, our second main truth. Jesus Christ is the true pattern of strength in suffering and the power behind our perseverance. During my studies, I found a quote by John Stott that summarizes all that we have discussed so well. The Apostle Paul has been hammering home a single lesson from secular analogy, soldiers, athletes, farmers, to spiritual experience, Christ, his own, and every Christian's, he insists that blessing comes through pain, fruit through toil, life through death, and glory through suffering. It is, invariable, it is an invariable law of Christian life and service. This is so true, isn't it? Invariably, we will suffer. We will have to work hard. We will have to be disciplined and water the seeds that we have planted in the disciples that God has given us. And we will obtain glory through Jesus Christ. Be encouraged, dear heart. Jesus has overcome on your behalf. You are more than conquerors through him. Which one of these examples resonates with you? as you follow Jesus and surrender your life to him? Have you experienced suffering that has derailed your focused gaze from Jesus to yourself? As you read through Isaiah 53, find an example of Jesus' suffering that could help realign your gaze back to him and encourage your heart to persevere. We will end with one of my favorite parts of this book, Verses 9 through 13, we know that Paul is in prison at the writing of this letter. This is not the house arrest that he enjoyed at the end of the book of Acts. No, he is most likely in an underground, dark, cold dungeon with a debilitating stench and no way out. He understands that at this point, as the persecution of Christians has intensified under Nero, he will be executed. In verse 8, Paul has just asked Timothy to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But then he exclaims, the word of God is not bound. What hope to the believers then? And what hope to us now that the word of God is alive and active and it cannot be bound even if the messenger is bound. 
Throughout scripture, we find promises from God that his words will never pass away. But not only that, it will also accomplish the work it was intended to. I want to give you these verses in Isaiah for you to write them down and read in your own time. Isaiah 40, verse 8, and Isaiah 55, verse 10 to 11. God is so kind to speak to us through his word, but God also gave us his son, the word, for us to have life through his death and resurrection. John Stott writes, God himself is a guarantor of the gospel. It is his responsibility to preserve it. In this same thought, as we are co-laborers with Christ in this work, it is he who will sustain us through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah 55 verse 10 gives us a clear picture of why Paul continued to endure suffering following in the Lord's footsteps. This was for the sake of the elect. Now, this passage brings me so much joy. God's plan from the very beginning was to show his glory to all of the nations, and he chose to do this through the nation of Israel. We find this beautiful promise in Genesis 12, verse 2 to 3, when he calls Abram. God says to him, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We know that the Apostle Paul describes himself as coming from the tribe of Benjamin, a Jew of Jews. But he was chosen by the Lord to go to the Gentiles. This also includes us. He is talking about us and how God's plan all along was to make us one family united in Christ Jesus. What good news. The Lord has been thinking about us even from before time. Remember from Jillian's talk that when Paul was called, he was called as a chosen vessel to take the gospel to the Gentiles. We find in Ephesians 3 that Paul calls himself a prisoner of Christ on behalf of the Gentiles. He is proud to bring the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles and telling them through the sacrifice of Jesus that they are grafted into the family of God. This is a reminder to Timothy that it's because of his promise that enduring suffering will not come without reward. Just as Paul left Jerusalem and traveled to the Gentiles, he was rewarded with a co-laborer, Timothy, who is now taking the baton and continuing in the work of spreading the gospel. Let's read verse 11 through 13 of chapter 2. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Amen. This potentially well-loved hymn of the early church then highlights even more the faithfulness of God. As we just saw, he has kept his promises, he has fulfilled the prophecies, and he came to make a way where there was no way. Have you watched The Chosen, a new show about Jesus' time on earth and his chosen disciples? I've watched a little bit, and so far I've enjoyed seeing Jesus and his disciples depicted so humanly relatable. Of course, Peter is my favorite. Well, Peter has been my favorite disciple since I first memorized them. I think it's because he was the one I identify with the most. Impulsive, short-tempered, intensely loyal, and yet failing miserably, but repenting immediately. 
As I was studying, I'd listened to Nancy Guthrie interview a Bible teacher on this passage, and they brought up the example of Peter as they dissected the passage. And it really stuck with me. I believe this passage offers us hope that we can trust the Lord's faithfulness to guide us as we walk with him. That although we will falter in our convictions, that even though we deny the Lord with our actions, that we will not always have our motives right as we serve him, yet he is the source of the power we need to persevere in faithfulness. We see this happen to Peter. The Lord gives him an insight into his false profession of loyalty. I believe Peter loved the Lord. But when he saw within his own soul and realized that it was quick to turn to self-serving comfort, he repented. But the Lord had also given him the key to his recovery. The Lord had gone before Peter in prayer. Go with me to Luke 22, verse 31 through 34. Jesus speaks to Simon Peter and says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like weed, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So heart-wrenching, but so hopeful. The Lord prayed for Simon Peter. And not only that, but then he gave him purpose to continue that then he would be able to strengthen his brothers. That same Jesus sits today on the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. So also this passage can serve as a warning. As we profess to follow Christ, let us examine our hearts and understand that a false profession will not stand in the time of trial. If we claim to know and follow him, and yet our actions deny him, he will have no other choice but deny us. Yet if there is a temptation to fear and become unsure of your faithfulness, then remember Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead. It is because of his completed work on our behalf that we can be sure, just as Paul reminds the believers in Thessalonica, that he who is faithful, he will surely do it. That verse can be found in 1 Thessalonians 5.24. We can also be sure of this today. Amen. Let these words encourage us and also lead us to greater faithfulness to our unfaltering and true king. As we close our time together, I want to leave you with the rewards that Jesus promised the churches of Asia, including the church of Ephesus, in Revelation chapter two and three. There are a lot of them, but they have provided for me an even clearer picture of what the Lord has prepared for us in his Father's house. We will go through them quickly, but I encourage you to not not to try to write them all down on the first time. Instead, just take time to listen to them, and then you can take time to write them down as you listen to them a second time. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, Revelation 2.7. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. To the one who conquers, I will give some of, their, some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Revelation 2.17. To the one who conquers, I will give him authority over the nations. He will rule with authority as I myself received authority. I will give him the morning star. To the one who conquers, I will clothe in white garments, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name 
before my Father and his angels. Revelation 3, 5. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall never go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God and the city of my God. Revelation 3.12 To the one who conquers, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Revelation 3.21 There are only a few of the many, these are only a few of the many, many more that there are in the Bible. But this is an overwhelming reassurance of God's faithfulness to us as we persevere in following him. This leads us to our final main truth. God's word sustains believers in suffering, reminding us that our hope is in God's faithfulness. What a faithful Lord we serve. He has given us everything we need to follow him until the end. The gift of his word is meant to sustain us in suffering. He uses his word to nourish us even in the hardest of times. I'm reminded of Psalm 23, verse 5. The Lord delights in setting the table for us in the presence of our enemies. Daily, he faithfully serves the the feast, and all we have to do is take time to attend. The table is set. You are always invited. In summary, I want to review the main truths with you. We see that the gospel bid us complete surrender and loyalty. It will not always lead to prosperity when we do that, but it will always produce the fruit of the Spirit in us. We can do this because Jesus is the true pattern we must follow. He is the only one that gives us strength to endure, suffering, and power to persevere. He has left us his word, a feast 24-7 available to us, a sustenance full of evidence that he keeps his promises and has also prepared rewards for us yet to come. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I can't help but sing. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. You are faithful and true. I believe that you have provided for us all that we need to live out our salvation with you. Lord, help us to put our whole trust in you. As we are reminded and reassured that it's not by our works, but by your work in us. Thank you that you will complete the work until the day of your return. Lord, we long to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I believe that it is because of your work of the Holy Spirit in us that we will hear them. In Jesus' name, amen. Paraphrasing is not part of our homework this time, but I want to encourage you to take some time to read verses 11 through 13 and spend some time in the Word with the thesaurus to find more understanding, and then paraphrase it in your own words. I'm going to read my example to you. If we give our life for him, he will crown us with life. If we persevere, he will make us rule with him. If we reject him, he will also reject us. If we betray his trust, he remains trustworthy. He is unable to prove false to himself. It was just too good to pass up, the opportunity to paraphrase that part for me. So I encourage you to do it if you'd like. The homework for next time will allow for a slower time in the Word as you look up definitions. There are some examples highlighted for you in the syllabus, but as the Lord leads you, look up words that will help enrich your understanding. The reading for session 5 will be 2 Timothy 2, verse 14 through 26. Be blessed.
Thanks for tuning in today. Here on the Dayton Women in the Word podcast, you can listen to this summer's teachers throughout the remainder of our study, with a new lecture being released every Wednesday. All resources for summer study can be found on our website, daytonwomeninthewordcom slash two timothy resources. Visit our week four resource page for more details about the coming week's study. Grace be with you.